Hey, if you're new here, I haven't got a chance to introduce myself. My name is Carter McKinnis. I'm lead pastor here. Thanks for being here on this absolutely gorgeous morning. If you are joining us online, thank you so much for allowing us into your homes, uh, onto your back porches. It's a great morning to be on your back porch. This is a beautiful day. Uh, hey, I'm going to show my age here just a little bit, but back in the day, VH1 had a show called Behind the Music. Anybody remember that? Yeah, um, so you're like excited about Behind the Music. Now, does anybody know what the, the first two episodes of Behind the Music, who they were about? Millie Vanilli and MC Hammer. Yeah. And the show was kind of about um, one-hit wonders, it was often, or bands or groups or musicians that had kind of gotten out of the music, that, you know, that kind of just falling back and nobody heard from anymore. And it was always like, how, what was the behind the story behind the story of how they made it, how they became, had that number one single, how they had that number one album, um, how they made it. Now you may be wondering like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, I, we are in a series, as Ben said, called For Everyone, where we are looking at Acts chapter two for three weeks. We're walking through the whole chapter over these three weeks and reading every verse in that incredible, remarkable chapter about God's vision for the original church. And last week I said this, and I'll say it again this week. I'll probably say it again next week, and that is that the best vision for our church is God's vision for the original church. That I believe that we can look at Acts 2 and see God's vision for the way the church was supposed to be founded. And I think, what better starting point? I mean, that's if we're trying to figure out who's God calling us to be, where's God calling us to go, that's the place we should start. But in this remarkable chapter, in chapter two of Acts, that there's all these incredible things that happen, these supernatural things that happen, there is a story behind the story. There is a, uh, there is a behind the music, or it's actually a behind the message. Today we're gonna read about Peter preaching the very first Christian sermon. But there's a story behind the story. Long before this, uh, this amazing thing happens, there is an Acts chapter 1, and I wanted to start today by talking just a little bit about this one verse in Acts chapter 1 that is the story behind the story, because I believe that this has to be the story behind our story. Last Sunday, I, I talked about some pretty bold and audacious dreams and visions for our church, and today we're going to talk about another audacious dream and goal for our church, but I believe if this isn't a part of our story the way it was a part of the very first church's story, then our dreams and our visions won't make any difference, and they won't happen. Well, here, and here's the story behind the story. Before all those incredible things happened in Acts chapter 2, about 120 followers of Jesus gathered together, and the writer of Acts, Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, writes this. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Long before these incredible things happen in Acts chapter 2, Long before the Holy Spirit fills this group and they speak in different languages and long before all this, they gathered together in prayer. And I want to tell you that I believe that any vision that we have, that anything that we would ever hope and dream that God could do in and through us better start with prayer. It better start with us calling on God to do what only God can do. So we have a strategy that I want to share with you that's going to be a part of, of our heartbeat here at Mountaintop. And our strategy is that we want to pray big. 
We want to pray big, bold prayers, including an intentional monthly day of prayer and fasting for God to move in our city and in our world. Starting in 2021, in 2021, we're going to start a monthly day of prayer and fasting where we focus on whatever God is calling us to that month or whatever we've got going on, but really just to pray for our city and to pray for Birmingham. Because here's what I just really believe. It won't matter how great our strategies are. It won't matter how good our music is. It won't matter how good our preaching mic could be. It won't matter how great our ministries are. It will fall flat. Our best efforts will fall flat without the supernatural move of God. And if God were to do something amazing in and through us here in Birmingham, I would love for our story 10 years from now for people to say, hey, how did, how did that happen? And we would say, you know, how did God, that was amazing what God did as your church. And our answer would be like, well, we just decided in 2020. You remember that year? Oh, rough year. We decided we were going to pray big. So I want you to begin praying big, and you don't have to wait in 2000, until 2021. In fact, right now, on the first and third Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m., we have a group that meets right out in front of the church. If it's pretty weather, we meet right under the drive-through. If it's, it's not pretty weather, we come on in the atrium. But on the first and third Tuesdays, that's this Tuesday, you can come at 6.30, and uh, we do something pretty radical. We just pray. That's it. We just pray. And I believe if we're going to accomplish all God wants us to accomplish, we have to become and we have to be and we have to strive more to be a praying church. So that's a strategy that's got to be the story behind our story. Last week, we talked about how important it is to create an inviting atmosphere. Our church, uh, much like much of the American church, has kind of been trending in the wrong direction but we have an incredible opportunity. In fact, the population within a five mile radius of our church is 153,590 and growing. And it's mostly young families. Our community is young, younger than me. And the stats say that about one out of every four of those families attends church. In other words, three fourths don't. In fact, Two-thirds of any age of the population probably don't attend church, up to 100,000 people. And now some people might look at that and say, gosh, I mean, what are we going to do in a, in a community that is, is so um, uh, disconnected from church? But I believe God just sees that as an opportunity because God grew a church when zero people went to church. So after this story of constant prayer that I mentioned in Acts 1, if I want to just refresh your memory from last week or catch you up if you weren't able to watch the message last week, there's an incredible thing that happens with this 120 followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit fills them, and they begin speaking the language of everyone in the, in the surrounding area. And Jerusalem is packed because it's the, it's the festival or the feast of Pentecost. So there's people from all over the region. Anybody that can get there is there. And all of a sudden, it draws a crowd because people hear their own language being spoken. And I believe that Jesus is worth drawing a crowd for. And I believe if we're going to invite and reach our neighbors, then we've got to be committed to speak their language. We've got to be committed to connect with them wherever they are. Now, here's one of the problems with that. People get really concerned when we say things like we're going to speak the language of the community. They, they feel like um, 
are we just going to try to get too comfortable with the world? In fact, here's what people worry about. Are we just trying to put pretty packaging on it? Right? That's the, that's the danger. That's, that's, the, that's the struggle. That's what people feel like. Are we just trying to make it attractive? Are we just trying to make church attractive? Are we just trying to make Jesus attractive? In fact, there was an entire movement called the attractional church movement, which some people say is dead. But my question is always is like, well, what would you rather be besides an attractive church? Right? I mean, would you like to say like, our church is really unattractive, right? I mean, <laughs> but I get it, I get it. Because the fear is that it will just all be wrapping and trimmings. The fear is that it will just be shiny on the outside and look good on the outside, but on the inside will be filled with fluff, right? Because maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've experienced or you've seen it where on the outside it is pretty and shiny and it looks good, but on the inside it is feel-good, emotional, happy, clappy, cheerleading. And it's not exactly the truth of the gospel, and it's not exactly the truth about Jesus. So there is a fear there. But here's what, I'll, here's what I want to tell you. This was not the way of the church when it first began. This was not what the apostles did, and this was not what God did through those earliest followers of Jesus when he made them attractive, when he drew a crowd by speaking the language. And after all, our mission is to help people join Jesus, not the church. I mean, our mission isn't to make the church shiny and pretty and cool just so people would come to church. Our goal is to get people into a relationship with Jesus. We want to help people join the Jesus movement. And in our new vision statement, we've said it this way, we invite and equip people to follow Jesus. And in last week, in this beginning story of them speaking the languages of the people, we talked about how important it is to us for us to invite people in to speak the language, whether that's through music or architecture. And this week, I want to talk about what we want to invite them to is to follow Jesus. Because the interesting thing about Jesus is that he never looked at anybody and said, believe in me or accept me or received me. Whenever Jesus looked at somebody, he looked at him and said, follow me. So that's our heart. We want to help people follow Jesus. So let's read how Peter talked about following Jesus and making that decision to get into a relationship with Jesus. The very first time, the very first Christians gathered the very first crowd so that he could preach the very first sermon. Isn't that cool? Like, just ever think about this? It's like the first church gathering. This group gathers because they hear their language speaking. And if you, if you remember, if you were here last week or you watched it, if you're not, let me just kind of give you a, a little refresher. Right before this, though the crowd gathers, there are some people that look at the apostles and Peter and all the others and they hear this and they go, I think they're drunk. That was the last thing it says. Listen to what Peter says. If you got your Bibles and you're just opening up in Acts 2, you can just open them up. We're starting in verse 14 today. Then Peter stood up with the 11, and he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. 
it's only nine in the morning. Now this verse tells me one thing crystal clear, that Peter, if he had never seen a drunk person at nine in the morning, had never been to an SEC football game. <laughs> I'm not saying it's right, I'm just saying it's true, okay? It's only nine in the morning, what are you talking about? And then he begins to speak to them kind of where they're at. Because the crowd that is gathering, they're all God-fearing Jews who have a heavy respect for the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. So he starts right where they are to try to tell them about Jesus. Verse 16 says this, no. What you're seeing now, all these people speaking and all these people prophesying and speaking in these different languages, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour up my spirit on all people. That's why you're seeing this. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, because remember it said the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, even women were with them. And they're like, well, what's going on? And he's like, well, actually, the prophet Joel said this would happen. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming and the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He quotes the prophet Joel to try to say what you have believed your whole life is actually pointing to this moment. It's actually pointing to what you're seeing now. He's trying to connect with their worldview to try to help them understand the truth of the scriptures, the truth that's actually pointing to Jesus. And then he says this in the next verse, fellow Israelites, listen to this. So see, it's totally, it's, this is totally to Jews. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, everybody knew Jesus was a miracle worker. There was no denying it. Almost everybody had a story of a friend who had been healed or a friend who had a cousin who something cool had happened to. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, talking about with the Romans, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And he begins to explain to them the Jesus, and the details are pretty clear. Jesus was crucified and he was resurrected. But I want you to know something, that this is so critical for our ministry and for our vision and for our mission, because Peter doesn't stop there. And we can't just stop there, and too often the church has stopped there. Because here's what I want you to know. You can believe in Jesus and not follow Jesus. Like Peter wasn't just trying to convince them, hey, you should believe this. You should believe that Jesus was crucified and resurrected. You can believe in Jesus and not follow Jesus. Peter wanted to take them to a deeper place, to a better point with Jesus. And so then he begins to talk about how their revered King David actually points to Jesus. 
one of, the, one of the most revered men in the Hebrew culture. And how Jesus is a fulfillment of a promise that God gave to King David. God promised David that he would always have a descendant on the throne of Israel. And Jesus' lineage goes back to David. What, Jesus is say, what, what Peter is saying is that Jesus is not just the fulfillment of that promise. He's the fulfillment of an even better promise for you. Listen to what he says about David. David said about him. You see what he's doing? He's speaking their language. Because they're like, Peter, I don't care what you have to say. But Peter has said, well, Joel said. Oh, well, we like Joel. And then Peter said, and David said about him. Oh, well, if David said that. He's speaking their language. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently, so this is back, this is back Peter talking. This is back him looking away from his notes. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here today to this day. What he's saying is like, hey, David didn't resurrect. You want to go visit his tomb? It's right over here, guys. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing that what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. What David was pointing to was that he wasn't the hope of Israel. He was a great king, but he wasn't the hope. That there would one day be a true Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses. In other words, what Peter's saying is, I saw him. John saw him, James saw him, his mama saw him, his brothers saw him. Like his brothers believe and like, do you know how hard it is to convince your brothers that you're the Messiah? You pretty much have to rise from the dead. And they're here, they're on my team, they're taking my side. All 120 of us saw us. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see in here. Like today, Jesus, Peter is saying, is the continuation of what God had been doing through David and through the Israelites forever. And what you are seeing in us is the continuation of what God did through Jesus. For David did not ascend to heaven and had yet said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then Peter gets ready to make his closing, just like closing point, his closing argument. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. What you have believed your whole life is what he is saying. What you have thought to be true your whole life, every scripture you've ever memorized, every scripture you've ever read has pointing to this moment. This Jesus who was crucified and resurrected and who we saw it is the promised one, the Messiah of the Hebrew people. He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And this group of people, this is amazing. This group of people who just moments ago had called Peter drunk. 
they're convinced. <laughs> and listen to what they say. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter gives the very first altar call. He says, well, pretty simple. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the, name of the, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter preached a four-point sermon. Here it was. Jesus is God. He was crucified for our sins. He was resurrected to defeat death, and you should repent and be baptized. That's it. That's the gospel. That's it. And I want you to know something. I want you to know something. We are going to be a church that preaches this gospel. We are going to be a church that preaches Christ crucified and resurrected. We will not water down the gospel. I refuse to just do emotional cheerleading. I refuse to preach a happy, clappy gospel that just makes people feel good and doesn't call people into the truth of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the hope of all creation, because we are sinners in need of redemption, and our only hope is Christ crucified for us, raised to dead, from the dead on our behalf so that we might die to ourselves and be raised to new life in him. It's the gospel. It is the hope of the world. And that's what we have to preach. That's what the world so desperately needs. It's the hope of all creation. It can change people's eternity and it can change their today. And there are some people, there are some people who will say, well, Carter, man, that's all you need to do. You don't need the pretty packaging you don't need to, as maybe your grandma said, gussy it all up. Right? You, don't, you don't need to make it shiny. You don't need to make it attractive. Just preach the gospel. The gospel is enough. And so here, let me, let me say this. <clears throat> of course the gospel is enough to save people. Of course the gospel is enough to change people. Of course the cross of Jesus Christ is all the world needs and the resurrected Savior. But what is so clear to you and me is often distorted to the world. And this is what I, I, I want to help you understand. When you and I see the cross, when you and I see what we call the gospel, when we think about church, we think about Christianity, we think about good things, but when people outside the church often think about church, they think about that it's judgmental. And they think about condemnation. And they think we're hypocritical. And they think we're divisive because they've been on Facebook. They think we're irrelevant. They think we're uncaring. They think we're too political. They think we're too rules oriented. And somewhere along the way, they had a bad experience. 
Let me say it this way. The gospel can't be heard if the community has us on mute. Of course the gospel's enough. And you've got some beautiful experiences with the church. You're here. You're watching online. Some of you are so hungry to get here, but you're not quite here yet. You will be one day. But there are others. They got some experiences with church that turned them off from the message we want them to hear. And I don't think it has to be one way or the other. I don't think we have to be shiny and full, but full of fluff or just preach the gospel, but we're tone deaf to what's going on in the world. The apostles didn't see it that way. In fact, Peter says something next that's remarkable. He says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Remember the whole time he has said, fellow Israelites, fellow Jews, fellow Israelites, fellow Israelites, fellow Israelites. But this promise is for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This promise isn't just for you adults. This promise is for all who are far off. And it isn't just for Jews. It's, this promise is for children and it's for all who are far off. And so, Here's, here's what I would ask you. What would it look like? What would it look like for us to present the message in a way that was relevant to children and to all who are far off? What would it look like? I think it could look like this. If the promise is for our children, well, then our children and student facilities ought to be the best facilities on campus. And they're not right now but they're going to be. If we really care about the next generation, if this promises for them, then our facilities and our kids and student ministries need to speak their language in the most relevant way so that the gospel can be clear to them. So in the coming year to year and a half, we're gonna have a campaign to renovate completely our children's facility and our student facilities because we want to do anything and every can, everything we can to support our staff and to, to, to do anything to improve our approach to reach the next generation. What would it look like? <clears throat> what would it look like if we decided to speak the languages to all who are far off? What would that look like? Because they've got a language. What if we decided that we were going to speak the language to help them with their marriage? So we're, we're going to have series where we preach through the scripture, where we preach straight through a Bible passage, where we preach straight through. But if we're going to speak the language of those who are far off, we need to speak the language of their needs. And here's what I can tell you, people that are far off from God and young families and young couples in our community and young singles in our community, they want to know if there's a better answer for marriage. So you can book it every February. I'm going to do a series on marriage and relationships. You can take it to the bank. Every February, I'm going to do that. Because while the world's sending out candy and roses and cards that don't make any sense and don't have the answers, we're going to talk about the real answer for marriage. They're crying out for significance. 
So what if we teach some series that say that it's not just about how far you climb the ladder or how much money you make or how far you make it in your career, because you know what, we all figure out at some point that you can reach the very top and not feel any significance. And surely there's a better answer. We're gonna teach some series on parenting because I have a secret about parents. None of us know what we're doing, <laughs> right? None of us know what we're doing, so why don't we go to a guy that we call the Heavenly Father to teach us how to be better fathers and mothers? So we're, we're gonna teach on parenting. We're gonna teach on unity. Because in our divided world, I believe, I believe that our, I believe people outside the church are so hungry for an answer for unity because this world is falling flat. This world just might, we just see division. And we're gonna preach on purpose because they're hungry for purpose. It's not a trick. It's not smoke and mirrors. We just want them to want to open the package. Because what we believe is that behind it, the cross becomes crystal clear. Here's the cool thing, here's the cool thing. I know something, some of you know this. <clears throat> the answer for marriage, the answer for significance the answer for parenting, the answer for unity, and the answer for purpose is the answer we've been wanting to give them the whole time. The answer is Jesus. But if we don't package it in a need that they have, they'll never get to Jesus. And don't you want them to get to Jesus? I want you to listen to what Peter says to close it out. I want you to listen to the last last part what happens can you imagine what God would do what God would do if we would be willing to not choose one way or the other to not say we're going to be a pretty package filled with fluff or we're going to just be uh, an aloof uh, church not 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 mindful of the needs of the community what God could do if we would package it with a willingness to preach the truth of Jesus but in a way that people can understand listen to what happened with Peter with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And I've always said, like if you don't like mega churches, you wouldn't like the first one. Because they went from 120 to 3,000 in one day. And so I want to give you one of our big audacious goals by 2030. We want to welcome into the people, into the love of Christ through a thousand baptisms. We want to see, we believe that following Jesus, making that decision is the most important decision you can ever make in your life and that there is something about the power of that public decision of baptism. Now I know what some people are going like, a thousand people is like, is that, is our numbers all that matter? Here's what I can tell you. We count people because people count. We count people because people count. And we want to see God do something in people's lives. We want to pave the road, not to water down the message, but to invite people into the deep waters of the truth and grace of Jesus. I say it like this to close out. We want Jesus to make a difference 
So we make Jesus make sense. If we make it shiny, but full of fluff, well, it might make sense, but it won't make a difference. <laughs> if we are blind and deaf to the concerns of the world, well, we might preach a Jesus that makes a difference, but it'll never make sense. And I'm just going to guess that you've got one person in your life that you love for whom you so desperately want it to make a difference. So let's join together to make sure we make it make sense. Because the promise is for children and for those who are far off. The promise isn't just for people like me and maybe you. I grew up in church. I learned all the Bible characters on a felt board. Anybody else learn them on the felt board? I know all the words to all the old songs. I know all the churchy code language. But the promise isn't just for me. The promise is for everyone. And I, I want to spend the rest of my life I want to spend the rest of my life making this Jesus make sense for everyone so that this Jesus can make a difference and so he can do what only he can do for everyone. Everyone you know, everyone I know, and everyone in that 153,590 that none of us know. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to be a people willing to make it make sense so that your spirit can make a difference in the lives of men, women, and children. God, we know that this doesn't depend on us, and yet you have entrusted this message to us. So Lord, that's my prayer, that, you, that we would hold it in a manner worthy of you entrusting it to us. Lord, we're praying, every one of us right now, for that one that we know who is far off. And we know which one they were. They, they think we're too judgmental. We've got a friend, a cousin, a coworker. They think we're irrelevant, that we're all about condemnation and rules. In fact, we've probably even heard them make excuses. And our heart, Lord, is that you would help us break down barriers so that they could encounter the living God, this Jesus, whom you have made, Lord and Messiah. In his name. Amen. We're going to close out our time of worship today by singing a song that declares what we believe. Because we stand on just what Peter preached that very first time, that we believe Jesus is Lord and Messiah. But my hope is that as you sing this, you'll think about somebody who doesn't believe it. 
And you'll ask yourself this question, am I willing to do, am I willing to go to the extremes that those first Christians went to so that all of those who are far off could believe the same thing, could follow the same Lord? Because Lord, I want it to make a difference in their life the way it's made a difference in my life. Let's stand and let's sing what we believe.